The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And now let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are in the second to last week of our fall sermon series that will lead us all the way into Advent. And let's open up to Ephesians and chapter 5. Looking particularly at verses 15 through 21, and you can find that on page 978 of your Pew Bible. Uh, you know, it's uh, been probably very obvious that when we have been walking through this series called Reverence and All, these principles and elements of Christian worship, we've been working through them in, in a topical way rather than doing one book of the Bible, one chapter of the Bible all the way through. We've been jumping around to these various topics, and uh, today, the thing that we're looking at is the idea of singing, singing, making music to the Lord and bringing him songs of praises with our mouths and with our bodies, with our hearts, singing. Uh, so we are seeing that from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Now, it may be the case that uh, in, in preparation to think about music, unfortunately it's the case that oftentimes music and the church brings about division when people say, well, I, I have my certain preferences for the kind of music that I like and the kind of music that I would like to sing and the kind of music that I would like to hear in the church. And unfortunately, people split and divide over these issues. Uh, it's very unfortunate. It's very unnecessary whether or not certain instruments should be used, whether or not certain songs should be sung, certain different types of Christian music, whether psalms only or hymns only or new Christian songs. What's appropriate when it comes to singing to the Lord? And uh, actually, uh, a couple of you made comment. Uh, we've been singing together in the last couple of years that wonderful song, In Christ Alone, and many of you love that hymn, and you would be perhaps surprised to know that that hymn is only about 20 years old. Um, but it sounds old, uh, and so people often associate age with the worthiness of music, but it's just not the case. Anything can be glorious and uh, praiseworthy to the Lord, but we want to understand about why do we sing? Uh, what is it doing? Uh, what is it doing in the congregation? What is it doing in our individual hearts? Why do we do this? Because singing is perhaps one of the most commanded elements in the scriptures. Singing, singing to God, but also singing to one another. And before we look at our text and before we pray, um, there is a temptation, I think, in the church, uh, not only to divide, but also for people to think, uh, you know, singing uh, is for those who are singers. Um, that's not me. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. Uh, singing is for other people. Uh, or people are self-conscious and uh, about their voice, perhaps, or whatever the case might be. But you should know that uh, if you were alive uh, about 500 years ago, uh, church music would look very different. Church music would look very different 500 years ago because it used to be the case prior to the Reformation that the congregation did not sing. The only music that was offered in the context of pre-Reformation worship services was music that was offered by professional uh, choruses, professional choirs. They would do the singing. You would do the listening. You were not to sing. And adding to the complication of the fact that only the choir would sing and the congregation would not sing would be the fact that the choir, as they were singing, were singing in a language that you did not speak. They were singing in Latin. And you don't speak Latin. 
And so not only are you not engaged in the praise of God, the praise of God that is happening is something that you, you're not really able to comprehend because you don't speak that language. This is the reality of worship in the church pre-Reformation. In fact, it was one of the first hallmark realities of the Reformation to bring about congregational singing. That was one of the hallmarks of Reformation churches, for the congregation to be given words to sing. And so when we sing together, we are contributing in that act of Reformation continuing in the world today, and we want to understand why do we do this and why does it matter so much. So before we hear from Ephesians 5, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word that we might understand it. Our great God, we bow before you and we thank you for the scriptures. We believe, Lord, that here you speak to us in powerful and tangible ways, ways that will bless us and strengthen us, and help us to live for you through these words. And so, Lord, with your spirit, we pray that you would descend upon our hearts, upon our minds, that we would receive your word with understanding and with application, that we would receive it with gladness. So come now, Lord, and speak to us in the power of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word from the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, starting at verse 15 through verse 21. This is the word of God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So let us do uh, attend to these words here that we might understand them. So, as we anticipate this season of Thanksgiving, yes, of course, and as we start to conclude our series on Christian worship, looking at songs, it's fitting that Paul addresses the Ephesian church with both the reality of singing and Thanksgiving, and so it's tied together very nicely here. But what we want to understand primarily here in this text is this idea in verse 18 that Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit and what comes about from it. To be filled with the Spirit and what comes about from it. And we just want to see two things this morning. Uh, one is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And then secondly, how being filled with the Spirit forms our Christian life. So if you like, the filling of the Spirit and the forming of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit and the forming of the Spirit as it relates to this idea of singing and worship and what we're doing. Uh, because it, it is very important to understand that, that when we gather for worship, there is more happening than we often realize. There is more that is being done spiritually in our hearts individually, spiritually, corporately as the people of God, more than we often appreciate. And so we want to understand what is happening here as we gather and sing under this idea of the filling of the Spirit and the forming of the Spirit. So notice 
as Paul talks about being filled, that he sets this idea of being filled in contrast in verse 18 to other kinds of filling. Of course, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And so he is setting over against one filling to another kind, what you pursue, what you bring into your life, what you make a priority. And he is instructing the Christians here in Ephesus, and of course, by extension, us, to be filled and to fill our lives, not with things uh, that will bring about ungodliness, but that which brings about godliness, especially the end of verse 18, the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit. Now that term is one that uh, creates lots of uncertainty, concern, division and debate in the church. To be filled with the Spirit. Depending on what church tradition you associate yourself with, this takes on a different meaning. Because there are certain church traditions that take this to mean that it is possible for a Christian believer to experience an additional filling of the Spirit, or they might call a second baptism or a second blessing, in which the Christian believer experiences an intensification of the Holy Spirit that takes them to some other level. Okay? Oftentimes people refer to this as uh, Christians and Spirit-filled Christians. Now, I want you to understand very carefully that the New Testament doesn't distinguish groups of Christians in this way. A Christian is someone who possesses the Holy Spirit, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. There aren't classifications of Christians, Spirit-filled Christians, and non-Spirit-filled Christians. That doesn't make any sense. And so when Paul addresses the idea of being filled with the Spirit... He is not talking about some kind of uh, static or, or wild experience beyond faith in Christ. He is talking about something that comes into our life and does wonderful things. And actually, as we look back into the letter of Ephesians, there's some clarification to this. So what does it mean to be filled in the Spirit if it doesn't mean some wild static utterances and varied things like that? Actually, look back into chapter 1 quickly. If you turn back to chapter 1... Paul addresses this idea of being filled with the Spirit in at least two senses here in the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 1, look at verse 13 in chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 13 says, In Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so when Paul mentions the filling of the Spirit, the operation of the Spirit, what the Spirit does, it is together with this idea that he brings in in verse 13 and 14 that what the Holy Spirit does, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian is to bring assurance to bring assurance this idea at the end of verse 13 to be sealed with the spirit the spirit who is the promise who is the guarantee that we have an inheritance what the spirit does when it comes into our life and being filled with the spirit is to receive what paul says here assurance the sealing of promise so all that to say the Holy Spirit comes into our life for the purpose of assuring us of our faith. That the faith that we have in Christ is true and that brings about these promises that are sealed and confident. It is the Holy Spirit's purpose to seal the promises of God to you and bring you assurance. 
Now, that is true at the beginning of your Christian life. It's true throughout your Christian life as you are continually filled with assurance, as Paul talks about here. But there's another way in which the Spirit fills us. If you look at chapter 3 in this same letter, chapter 3, verses 14 to 19 are speaking about this similar idea of being filled by the Spirit to bring about another reality, not just assurance, as in chapter 1, uh, but especially in verses 17 through 19, the idea of Christian maturity. Verse 17, chapter 3 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be filled with the fullness of God. And this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And in fact, if you look at verse 16, he particularly asks that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. What Paul is here praying for is he is praying for the filling of the Spirit in the lives of Christian believers to be strengthened and grow in the confidence of their faith. That is to say, maturity. To mature in Christ. To grow. To be rooted and grounded in love. And comprehend increasingly the height and breadth and length and depth of the love of Christ. To grow in your knowledge of Christ. To grow in your knowledge of the gospel. To grow in all of those things. And so when Paul speaks about the filling of the Spirit. Back in chapter 5 now. When he speaks of being filled with the Spirit. It is in this context of the Christian believer. Who is sealed in their confidence in the gospel. Who has assurance of their confidence in the gospel. And that assurance is that which continues to grow throughout their life as they comprehend more of the love of Christ and more of the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ. Okay? So a growing, spirit-filled Christian is one who is sealed in assurance and growing in maturity. Okay? And the sealed in assurance and growing in maturity Christian will bring about things in their life. They will be marked by certain realities. And the example that Paul gives here is singing. So the mark of a filled with the Spirit Christian is this. So, how does, how does this happen? This ongoing work of the Spirit, the sealing, the maturing, the filling. Um, it's actually quite simple. Paul addresses it here in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, is that through singing... The Spirit operates in these powerful ways. Singing. Notice how he says in verse 19, after the instruction to be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, chapter 5, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the forming of the Spirit comes about through singing. The filling of the Spirit then forms through the act of singing. Spiritual songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Do you know that there are certain Christian traditions, and especially Presbyterian traditions, that only sing psalms in their worship services? They're not, they, don't, they don't sing hymns. They don't sing spiritual songs. They only sing psalms, and when they sing them, they don't use instrumentation. Uh, unaccompanied, exclusive psalmody churches. 
have a few friends who pastor churches like that. I don't particularly am persuaded by that argument, but it's a beautiful sound. If you've ever heard unaccompanied psalmody, uh, it's a beautiful sound. But singing, the act of singing itself, did you know that there are literally hundreds of passages in the Bible that call on us to praise God with song? It's probably the most repeated command in all of the Bible. So it's important to ask the question, why do we do it? And why has God designed singing to accomplish this forming of the Spirit, this filling of the Spirit? What is it about singing? Why do we do it? I want to say that there is, uh, we could say more, but at least three things. Three things that the Spirit is forming in us through song, through music. Okay, and we are particularly thinking about the songs and music of the Christian people gathered together in corporate worship. That's not to say that you can't sing at other times, of course, but what is it about the gathered congregation singing that matters so much for the forming of the Spirit? The first thing is that singing helps us to glorify God. Through music, through singing, we glorify God. We give Him glory. We magnify His name. This is the dominant, overwhelming thrust of the commands of the Bible to sing so that through our singing, we would give God praise. We would declare His name to be great. We would say how great Thou art and magnify the greatness of His name through our song in the multiplication of our voices being raised together to say God is indeed great. He is the only God. He's great in the heavens and great on the earth. And this is our God and we will praise Him. Music helps us to do that. Perhaps in ways that other things don't. Music may connect with you. Singing may connect with you in ways that other things don't. That you, you feel that deeply within your soul. The reality that God is great as you sing it together. Now, of course, we praise God in music with different kinds of songs, though, don't we? Um, because not all of our hymns and psalms, our spiritual songs, not all of them are the same. In fact, it's possible for you to glorify God with songs of lament and sorrow and sadness and fear. If you read through the book of Psalms, uh, there are all kinds of words that can be used for you when you find yourself in moments of sorrow and sadness and fear and grief and depression. The psalmists have been in those places and they raise their voices in song to God from those places of real experiences. For example, Psalm 56 verse 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. The psalmist crying out to God in a song of praise saying, You count the tossings and turnings of my sleep, and you know the tears that I have wept. You know, and it is praiseworthy to God to acknowledge that in fear and in sorrow that we still praise God. We glorify God in music through this way. But perhaps, as we see here in this text, uh, one of the things that most comes out as we praise God in music, as we glorify God, is the fact that we're thankful people. And it's, of course, it's appropriate season to think about this. You want to put your finger here in Ephesians chapter 5, but turn to the, the Psalm 65. Turn left to Psalm 65, and we'll just pick up an example of thankfulness and praise to God through music that helps us to glorify Him in the psalm. Psalm 65. Psalm 65, 
It's on page 480. Look at Psalm 65, particularly at verse 9 through the end of the chapter as the psalmist praises God because, verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, and hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain, and they shout and sing together for joy. There's something about thankfulness that, that wells up the reality of songs of praises in the life of a Christian that is perhaps most essential, most healthy to realize, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that everything that we have, everything that we have is given. There is nothing that you have that you have not been given, Paul says. And the response of praiseworthy thanksgiving is the only appropriate response. No one knows how to celebrate thanksgiving apart from a Christian. It's impossible to be thankful from the heart without knowing to whom you are thankful. And it is thankfulness is a wonderful illustration of the glorification of God that we bring through our songs. And so it's a wonderful season for this. There's all kinds of music in our hymnals, of course, that ties towards this. And we heard one this morning, and there's plenty more. But just know that singing helps us to glorify God in joy, in sorrow, in fear, in sadness, in thanksgiving. In all ways, we glorify God through song. But the second thing that music helps us to do through the forming of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, besides helping us to glorify God, is that music and singing and praising God helps us to present ourselves to God. It helps us to give ourselves to God. As you flip back to the book of Ephesians, uh, we are instructed, being filled with the Holy Spirit, to address one another And give thanks, verse 20, always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What singing does, what singing does is it it weds together what we know and what we do. Singing joins together what we know and what we do and what we believe and joins together our affections so that as we rise to sing and open our mouths and take our hands, perhaps on a hymnal, or lift our eyes to the screen or whatever we're doing, we are engaging our whole selves, our mind, our body, our wills to to be joined together to bring to God praise. Singing offers ourselves to God. Because of what he has done, we give ourselves in respondent praise for all that he has done to us. Saying, Lord, here are my hands, here's my lips, here's my mind, here are my eyes. I bring myself in praiseworthy obedience to you for all that you have done for me. Bringing myself to you to praise you. And you know for a fact that there is a difference, isn't there, between singing and singing from the heart. Right? There's a difference. There is a difference between just, you know, mouthing the words or, you know, I know this song and I sang it a million times. 
And there's a difference between the song that just kind of rolls off versus the, the song that, that begins deep within the soul and then overflows in praise to God. When you are suddenly singing about God's faithfulness, not just generally, right? But God's faithfulness to you, God's faithfulness to your family. When you sing, great is thy faithfulness, and it has this resounding, overwhelming sense of, you are my God and you are faithful to me. And that, that is a worshipful act. And in that moment, the Spirit is forming you more and more in your obedience to God as you bring your heart to Him, offering yourself in praise to God, giving yourself to Him again. Of course, we do this in church on Sunday, yes, but there are other times to do this privately, but uh, one of the things that I have learned to appreciate actually um, more and more is the value of singing during funerals. The value of singing and music and song and praise during funerals. And the reason why that is, as Paul instructs us to sing from the heart and make melody to the Lord with your heart, in those moments, the, the gathered congregation of Christian people witnessing to the glory of God who has given and taken away and still brings themselves in thankful obedience to praise God. It is one of the most remarkable countercultural testimonies that the Christian faith has that it sings and praises God when other people might only see just loss. It's just nothing. It's just sorrow. The Christian faith is able, through the mystery of faith, to be able to say that through my grief and through my sadness, there is a song of praise still to give to God who has given and taken away. That's amazing. And it's a powerful testimony. But singing matters because we bring ourselves to God in this way. The final reason why singing matters so much and the reason why we should sing and the reason why you should be compelled more from your soul to sing not just mouthing words but singing from the heart is because and this will sound strange for all the singing that we do and for all the songs that we offer there is going to come a day when rather than you singing to God God is going to sing to you. There's going to come a day when your songs will stop and God's song of delight and love will reign over you. Listen to what Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, and the prophet is looking forward to a future day. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. One day, God is going to declare a song of praise of his own name, of his own love, of his own grace over your life. And what we do in anticipation of that is sing now to him. And we sing corporately as the people of God with hearts filled because of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ to say thank you, to be glad, to rejoice, to come to him with praiseworthy songs, to say you are our God and we are your people. 
And so I want to encourage you to sing louder. Even though it's not just about volume in and of itself. But to sing from your hearts with gladness for all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And the fullness that you enjoy in anticipation for the day that he will sing over you. We sing to him now. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gift of music and we thank you for the way that through music we, we pray and we feel our connection to you so powerfully. We ask, Lord, that through our songs of praise that you would receive honor and glory, that through our songs of praise you would receive more of our hearts and that, Lord, one day we anticipate the glory that will be ours as you sing over us. And so help us to praise you with hearts that love you and lips that are unashamed to confess your name. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.